Welcome to Above and Below, a Salt Life podcast where we're going to be exploring above and below the surface. We'll take in a deep dive into the world of fishing, diving, and surfing. Every week, we're going to sit down with experts to learn more about them and get their freshest, hottest takes on all things salty. All right, everyone, welcome back to Above and Below, a Salt Life podcast. I'm your host, Kieran Anderson, and today we have Tyler McAllister on, and we're going to be talking about harpooning and fishing. What's up, Tyler? How's it going? It's going very well. Thank you. Give us a little uh, about yourself and where you're from. So I live in uh, Massachusetts, specifically a little town called Mattapoisett, um, where I fish locally for bluefin tuna, as well as a myriad of other species. But kind of my forte is bluefin tuna fishing and harpooning specifically. And I've been doing that since 1985. Wow, that's that's pretty insane. It's actually funny. I'm, I'm super stoked that we're talking about this right now because I was with, you know, Ryder DeVoe, he's, he's super big fisher and spear fisher. He, he's part of a uh, salt life with us, but he just put a, uh, harpooning, uh, what would it be a tower or whatever in the front of the boat? Okay. Pulpit. Yeah. So he just put one on his little Anderson boat and, uh, he's like all frothed up to go, to go, uh, harpooning and stuff. And I was just like, dude, how the heck do you even do this? Like he was showing me all the buoys that he has and everything and how they can dive. The buoys can dive like. I don't even know a thousand feet or something and without popping and all this stuff. And I was like, what the heck? That's crazy. But this will be a, a fun, uh, fun topic right now. So, um, Massachusetts though, I didn't even know that there was bluefin rolling over there. Oh, we've, we have bluefin all the way up to Canada. You know, we're, uh, new England, uh, for years was kind of the focus for the United States fishery. And over the years, you know, it's expanded from Carolinas all the way up into um, Canada. And it's just become a very popular sport, especially recreationally, with a lot more fish around. Um, the population is definitely recovering very well from some very strict management practices that the fishermen took on back in the early 90s. And we're seeing some very, very beneficial returns from that. So... For the people that are listening in right now, can you give us the explanation of what harpooning is and um, what are the benefits of that versus just uh, rod and reel? So as a harpooner, you know, the regulations are pretty specific as to the animals I'm allowed to take. They need to be over 73 inches, which gives them multiple years to reproduce. So we're taking fish that have reproduced their own. Also... It is the most selective fishery available because I am targeting one animal to take one animal and I know the, you know, I can identify the size of that animal before we release the harpoon. Whereas with a hook or a net, it's a little more indiscriminate. You don't kind of know what you have until it comes to the boat. And by then you've stressed the animal out and the survival is dependent upon your ability to revive and properly handle the fish should you want to return it back to the ocean. In my case, we are, our goal is to catch the fish, but we also use an electrocution method, which instantly immobilizes the fish. It's more like a taser than kills it, which allows us to get the fish to into the boat and then properly dressed and bled so that the fish quality actually is significantly higher than most of your rod and reel fish. Is there a season for harpooning? The tuna behavior where they swim near the surface is generally 
from about June 1st till the end of July up in New England. And, you know, we found fish south of Martha's Vineyard all the way up to Jeffrey's Ledge off of Gloucester in Maine. Um, and they come up, in my opinion, and this opinion that's shared by a lot of fishermen and biologists, that they come up to kind of digest because tuna fish, bluefin tuna are homeothermic, which means that they actually have a body temperature that's warmer than the surrounding water. Unlike most fishes, which are that same temperature as the water around them, they actually maintain a higher body temperature. And that's through muscle um, action, digestion, and a series of blood vessels which surround the digestive area or the gut called the reet marab or wonderful net. So they, and their ability to exchange heat through heat in a heat exchange system as blood leaves the body towards the gills to be refreshed with oxygen is somewhere around 99%. So they're retaining their internal body heat. So these animals take advantage of the warm upper layer of the water, especially when the water's cold, you know, high 50s, low 60s. They feed, they come up, they get up in that top eight, nine, 10 feet of water, and they just swim along just digesting. And we can see evidence of that as we follow them. So you're basically just looking for foamers of bluefin, and then are you just rolling up on foamers and yep. harpooning the biggest fish you can see? We're well, the most accessible fish. These fish, yeah. are, they're you're, you're fishing, um, you know, a whole bunch of different forces. The boat's moving, is rocking. The fish are swimming. They're incredibly fast fish, and if they even yeah, you know, get a hint of you're behind them, they're gone before you can even think about throwing. So we try to target the bigger of the fish, but you know, whichever is closest, or if you're running a line of them and there's a specific fish that's maybe back a little bit from the rest of the line, you try to slide in behind that fish because you're most likely to be able to get to it. Because if you wanted to go to a big fish that was in the front of the bunch, you're gonna run over fish to get to them. It just doesn't work that way. Yeah. How did, how did you get into harpooning? That was a long time ago, 17 years old. <laughs> I was, I used to go down to Barnstable Harbor on the Cape in the afternoons um, when, in my younger years. And I used to wait for the harpoon boats to come in and watch them offload tuna. And I thought to myself, well, this is something I need to do. And I didn't have any idea what I was getting into. Well, the spring of my senior year, oh my, I'm sorry, my junior year, um, I got a knock on the door somebody looking for a mate on a harpoon boat. And that's where it started. And I harpooned my fish in July of 1985. And I knew I was in big trouble after that. <laughs> it's it's pretty gnarly. I feel like harpooning is uh, definitely one of the harder ways to get fish, unless you have experience like you. But like, I don't know, like, it, to me, it seems like it would be pretty, pretty hard. I'm learning every time I go fishing. I mean, the yeah. fish behavior is something that you takes a long time. A lot of people I know that have gotten into the fishery through into harpooning have either left it or just do it part time because it's it is a very difficult way to catch a tuna fish. You have to be able to read the water and decipher what the waves are doing. It's uh, my brother-in-law actually described it very well. He says. The ability to read water um, has resulted in what he calls a very high signal to noise ratio ability. In other words, I'm able to 
determine what waves are fish and what waves are just waves. And he fished with me a few times and he was just amazed at the ability just to pick out even the minutest change in the wave direction and how indicating a school of fish. Yeah, it's hard. I mean, I remember last year we had foamers everywhere, but when the wind hit, picks up, you kind of like look over and you're like, oh, that might be a foamer, that might not be. But when it gets windy, you're, you, it's hard, you know, like the ability to look at a foamer and be like, that is a foamer when it's windy. It's it takes a special someone for sure. Yeah. So we're the, the fishery itself is very weather dependent. I mean, the optimal days are light sea breeze days. Greasy yeah. calm water actually is not as good as if you get just a little bit of a chop, you know, a one to three inch light southeast wind we get in the afternoon sometimes in perfect days. The fish get up and run in those. And, you know, it's sometimes they're just, we call them dumb as boots. They're just going along and they have no clue on coming up behind them until it's too late. Yeah, that's that's perfect too, because those things get spooky. The bluefin are really, they're tricky fish for sure. They definitely are. Tell us about FV Cynthia C2. So the FV Cynthia C2 is actually the, the second harpoon boat that I have, or third harpoon boat I've owned. But, but I actually built a harpoon boat, uh, the Cynthia C1, a 35 Duffy from scratch. Bought the hull and finished the entire boat myself with a couple of friends. Um, in 2016, I started doing a lot more rod and reel fishing. I used to rod and reel a lot back in the 90s. And I needed a little bit bigger platform to work on. Did a lot of research on the boats. And the 38 Holland, which the Cynthia C2 is, it's a built-in um, main by Glenn Holland. And it is a very, very sneaky harpoon boat. So I bought a it was 1987 hull that had been completely restored in 2012 and repowered and then i put a tower and pulpit on it and it's the boat's name originally was um I'm trying to think of the name of it now but it was originally built as a harpoon boat back in 1987. And wow then it was converted to a lobster boat and then it was converted to a cruiser so i bought it after it spent four years of its life as a cruiser and that's when it had been completely restored. And, and then um, I converted it back into a harpoon boat. What is the, what's the process like making a boat into a harpoon boat? So it had the basic elements there already. It was a, a very good haul, very sneaky haul, very proven. Um, so I went to a local welding shop um, and I worked with uh, a young man who had done some work for me on my on Cynthia C1 name was Jamie Govin. And at that point, he was 20 years old. He was starting to go out on his own. And I sat with him in February of 2016. And I, I asked him if he could build me a tower and pulpit for a 38 hull. And I gave him the specs on the boat. My intent was actually to purchase the hull and finish the boat myself. Well, I went up to Maine. I met with Glenn. And I left them with a deposit on a hull. And on the way back, I actually found this hull, this boat for sale. And so I went back to Portland and ended up doing, ended up buying the boat. So I called Jamie after doing a kind of a crawl through preliminary inspection of the boat. And on a Friday, I remember it was like March 3rd or March 2nd. And he was actually at a party. So we were texting back and forth. And I asked him if he could build me that tower and pulpit this year. 
and he sent me back the text and he said this year and if you look at the tower of pulp it's amazing the work he did was insane um it was just incredible but he agreed to do it so that was the that was a catalyst for me to actually buy the boat and i went back up to portland sea trialed it bought it steamed it back down to sandwich mass in cape cod bay on the 30th of march in 2016 got our teeth handed to us to ride down but we made it it was a little sloppy that day so it was, a, I, it was a pretty rough ride. Oh, just the first half of the ride was beautiful. I mean, flat, calm ride down through Jeffries. But once we hit Stellwagen Bank, that hard southwest was coming up out of the bay, and we just took a hellacious beating. But uh, Jamie delivered. Hard. He had that. We had that boat fishable by the last week of June, and my first day out, I got two on it. How uh, how lo- how far out are your pulpits? My pulpit is a is twenty eight feet, so it's about twenty five and a half feet over the water. Extends Are you out the kidding me? The that is gnarly. So when you so do you keep your boat in a slip or? Uh, yep. Do you, okay. So oh yeah, you said it's thirty five feet. Thirty eight. Thirty eight. That's a pretty big boat. So yeah. Um. Do you do you keep your pulpit up? I do. I fold. I have to fold it at night. <clears throat> okay. So how how easy is it to put it up and down? So I developed a double, actually a quadruple pulley system uh, for that purpose. And one man can actually put it up and down. It's not easy, but I've done it. It was easier on the, the, the Cynthia C1, which is a 25-foot pulpit. But with two people, it's not a problem getting it right over top. Wow. That's pretty gnarly. <laughs> I, lo- I love to hear about the stuff, dude, because it's, it's cool to like, see boats cruising around with pulpits and stuff now that i know the name pulpit but uh it's cool to see those things rolling around and stuff and i always look at them like how the heck like i know Ryder takes his on and off on his boat because he's not always trying to harpoon which is you know hard to do on i don't know i it's just kind of a weird thing for me to think about like harpooning i've i've always been a rod and reel guy so it's cool to talk about this but um what what areas are you usually rolling out of over there when you're uh, so harpooning this, when uh the fish show up we go where the fish are more or less so yeah. the fish cape cod bay northeast of provincetown anywhere from 20 to 45 50 miles uh east of the cape off of chatham um up north it's you know right on stellwagon bank jeffrey's ledge it's a matter of where the fish are and so i i the pulp is not on the boat right now and I'll put the pulpit on probably about the 12th or so of June because I'm running ground fish charters on the big boat. I call it the big boat right now, the Cynthia C2. So I have another boat, 28 Whitewater, which I run charters as well, but that's a rod and reel boat. What what makes uh, harpooning so exciting compared to rod and reel? So I'm a big deer hunter, a big boat yeah. hunter. And tuna harpooning is hunting you are literally hunting the fish you're going around the ocean hunting the fish and you see some pretty cool stuff when you're fishing some unbelievable whale shows um i've had pods of pilot whales just completely encircle the boat and just hang around checking me out and i I got those videos Um, we've had many encounters with really big white sharks great white sharks uh, including white sharks that have just recently killed seals. Uh, wow. We see lots of sea turtles, lots of different sea turtles. We've rescued a whole bunch of sea turtles that were caught in um, 
different types of lines and, and other kinds of gear. Um, so you, you get to see when you're, you know, my, the tower, my boat is about 23 feet up off the water to my feet. So yeah, you get to see a lot of the world from, from up there. You can see a lot of different things. How is it uh, rigging a harpoon? Can you tell me that process and the buoys and everything? Cause I don't really know much about it. So, so the harpoon setup consists of, uh, I have an 11 and a half foot aluminum schedule 80 harpoon with about a 25, 26 ounce um, brass insert that holds a three eighths aluminum rod called a pike. And so the dart connects to the end of the pike and it runs up, you know, it's a connect, it's uh, connected to about five sixteenths um, special made throwing line, which I have made in Maine because I send them a couple of thousand feet of wire and they actually core the harpoon line around the wire. So I have a, I have a wire running through this, the center of this line. And that's what transmits the electricity from the boat to the fish. That's about 125 feet long. And then that's attached to 600 feet of three eighths inch pot work, uh, which is lobster, lobster rope and two inflatable low drag buoys and a high flyer. So usually the fish electrocutes and we get them right in the boat. But like you saw in Jaws, when he put three barrels over, sometimes we have to put three barrels over. So how far, how far down can those buoys go? I, I threw out a number earlier, but I know that they can go pretty deep. So I fish um, it like a 12 inch, then an 18 inch, and then a 30 inch. So the 12 inch actually will sink with the fish. And it's usually a good indicator how big the fish is. Cause when the, the next buoy, if that one's sunk, we know we have a big fish on the underside of that, on the, on the bottom of that end of that line. Um, but usually the first buoy will sink straight out. The second buoy will remain half floating and the third buoy will just lay there on the surface. So it's usually not a problem. Even, you know, six, seven, 800 pound fish won't sink that whole rig out. It's just too that much flotation. Crazy. How long does it take after you harpoon a fish for them to pop up? Oh, it's, it's usually pretty much immediate. They, it's, they can't handle that kind of pressure for very long. You know, and do you have trackers on the buoys as well? No, we, we just hit man overboard um, on the GPS. So we know where we hit the fish, every rig start fishing again. And then, you know, we'll swing back through and check the rig. If the fish is not moving, we'll haul back real quick, get the fish in and go back fishing. Otherwise, if it's still moving, just hit man, man overboard again and continue fishing. But usually, like I said, usually the fish is already in the boat. Yeah. Do you only fish for, uh, or harpoon for bluefin or do you go for swordfish and stuff? No, nope, just, just for bluefin at this point. Swordfish is on my bucket list and something that I really am considering doing this year. So do you, when you do this, do you have a commercial license or is this I, just strictly for fun? No, this is commercial. So okay. I'm in, I'm the category that the boats in this year, it's called the harpoon only category. There's two commercial categories for bluefin tuna general category, which is any hand gear type, which could be rod and reel, harpoon, banded gear, and um, hand line. I'm in the harpoon only category, which means I can only capture fish with a harpoon. But what it does allow me to do, it allows me to take many fish, multiple fish in a day, um, two less than 81 inches, and then as many as my boat can hold over 81 inches. Not that oh, I wow. sunk the boat, but... Uh, 
That's right. We've Are had some five only... fish days. What's that? We've had some five fish days. That's our best days have been five fish. Rad. What's that? What's the biggest bluefin you've got? 1150 pounds. Are you kidding me? 126 inches long. Dude, did that thing pop right up or was it down there? For he long? rolled over de- stone dead when I hit him. Are you kidding? Oh, so you nope. stoned him. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Went right to the bottom. It took everything we could to, unfortunately, we were in relatively shallow water, about a hundred feet of water. So we went right to the bottom and took us everything we had to get them back to the boat. And we actually had a only 120 inch tape measure. So we had to kind of measure it to six more inches. I couldn't believe how big that fish was. You're going to hate me for asking you this, but what's your make to miss ratio? Oh, there's a lot more ocean than there is to in a fish. It depends <laughs> on the day. I, I, That's sick. Yeah, if you, it could be, it could be rough. You know, it could be a little lumpy. You could have a good swell on. Yeah, I mean, you're. It it ha- widely varies. I've gone four for four, and then zero for four. Yeah, that that must be frustrating for sure. Are you are you the only one walking out on the pulpit, or do you have other other crew? No, I have other crew, but they're not going out there. That's my. Yeah. That's my. Like, that's why I call a pulpit. That's that's my place to preach, and that's where I that's where I need to be. How did you learn how to do all this? You learn uh, very much by failure. You you need to understand refraction of water. The under you need to understand the sun's angle relative to your position and the fish's position. Sometimes, you know, if a fish is deep and the sun's behind you. The fish actually looks like he is further out and shallower, but he's actually deeper and closer. So you can literally throw across the nose of the fish on a a deep fish when the sun's right. When the sun's straight overhead, it's pretty much everything lines up perfectly, but that's a very short time of the day. Late in the afternoon when the sun angle's low, you know, the fish is much further away than you think it is because just because of the refraction. How deep are you able to harpoon? I couldn't tell you how deep it was, but I hit a fish. Um, I, a friend of mine was, or my spotter pilot, uh, George Breen, was flying for me, and he put me over a fish, and all I could see was a color change. It just the look down. It just I knew there was something down there. I just didn't know, you know, I could just see this light gray tint, and I let fly, and I watched. I have a white. Um, kind of a cup at the end of my harpoons to fit my palm. And I watched that pretty much go out of sight and then stop. I yelled at the guy to hit the button and the fish shot straight up out of the water under my feet. And I couldn't believe I hit it. I, he had to have been 30, 35 feet down. That deep? Yeah. I mean, I think wow. 20 feet down, no problem. But this thing was like completely, it was all it was, was like a set of color change. It was, I knew there was something there. Just didn't know exactly how deep how he often- was. How often do you have foamers that just have hundreds of fish in it and you're just like, oh, there's one, boom, and you just can throw the harpoon and be done? Well, it's flock shooting doesn't work. You still got to pick one fish. Yeah. You got to go on that one fish. And I got a lot of videos where you can see hundreds of fish in front of me and you still got to pick that one fish. And they're rolling white water, you know, and uh, you just got to wait, make sure you get your turn. And you got to watch the fish too. I mean, it's, you know, oftentimes you can roll up on a school of fish and you're just watching the behavior, you know, if their tail is wagging and their pectoral fins are out and it, it looks like they're, looks like they're having a good day, 
you can roll right up on them. But once that tail stops and those fins fold in, that pectoral fin folds in, you about a half a second unloose, unleash the harpoon before that fish is gone. Dude, that's so crazy. I mean, theoretically, you're you're fishing by sight. That's what you're doing, right? It's 100% by sight. Yeah. So how, would you consider it a more sustainable way of fishing? It's a very sustainable. I mean, it's like I said, it's the most selective fishing method that's used. It's used for swords, especially in Canada and in the um, West Coast. And for tunas, you know, the the bluefin tuna is the primary, the only fish I, that I know that's um, pursued with the harpoon. But you are taking one fish and you are identifying that one fish before you take it. So you know what you have at the end of the line every time. What What's the current limit for bluefin right now? For, so going back to two categories, the general category sometimes will open at three and then yeah. they'll scale back to one. And you can catch three, any method, rod and reel, harpoon, bandit gear, hand line. Harpoon only opens and it's unlimited. With the exception of you can only take two, what they call large medium, and those are fish 73 to 81. So you can take as many as you want, or as you can, one is not a good word, can is a better word, uh, over 81. And those days are very few and far between. When's the, I know we kind of talked about the, the times to harpoon, but when is the actual best time to harpoon? The last quarter to the first quarter of the moon. And, you know, up to about July 30th. The Once the water temperature at the surface becomes 71, 72 degrees, the fish tend to actually favor a little bit cooler waters down deeper. So they tend not to travel near as much near the surface. So we're usually done chasing with the harpoon somewhere no later than the 10th of August. Might take a few trips around after a hard blow when the water's kind of turned over, but usually it's it's pretty much over by by that time. You're rod and reeling. You're, you're kind of changing your game to rod and reel fishing. That's why I have the second boat. How many miles out do you usually go? I've been three to 80. Oh, wow. So, it's, so it's, it fluctuates. Again, it fluctuates. I mean, I've, I had an airplane um for years and we would just pick a spot in the ocean and we would meet there and start fishing and you know if we could string two or three days together we'd actually be able to get on the pile of fish work the pile of fish before the weather forced us not to be able to fish the next you know the next couple days and that changes i mean the ocean changes all the time so you'd have a spotter plane yes wow that's pretty sweet that's pretty gnarly. So what what was there? Would they just kind of fly around within like a certain proximity and then just look for foamers? Or, I mean, how are they seeing the bluefin? Well, they're working with us. You know, we we probably see 30 to 40% of the time. We'll see the fish before the plane does if yeah. we're working in the same zone. But, for example, if we're in an area where we're not seeing fish, I'll say, you know, why don't you take a – ride five miles east you know he'll climb up to a thousand feet and he'll start looking and next thing you know the radio crackles and he says i got him and it gives me the numbers and off we go and it's literally you know the fish only moved a few miles from where we had him the day before but it would take me a lot longer to find them without the plane yeah absolutely so can you can you actually book a trip to come harpooning with you 
Unfortunately, you cannot. They, uh, under the charter headboat category regulations, you cannot harpoon. So that's the only one you're allowed to book charters for tuna fishing is charter headboat, which the small boat, my 28-footer, is in the charter headboat category. That's pretty insane. It still sounds like a fun trip to go on just rod and reel for bluefin over there. I mean, yeah. it, it sounds like you guys got it made over there with the bluefin. I mean, we just started getting them back. So it's cool to see them on the West Coast again. We have a really good rod and reel fisherman. It's going back to 2007 um, is kind of when I actually stopped rod and reeling at all back around 98. And that was just exclusively harpooning because the rod and reel fishery was so sporadic and so spotty that I just didn't have the appetite to, you know, continue to try and find them. And it was just, wasn't the fishery wasn't in good health back then. Around 2009, it started to come back. By 2011, the rod and reel fishery really recovered. And now we have a great giant fishery, but we also have a great recreational size fishery up here where we run and gun for... 45 to 60 inch fish uh, we're casting at them you know it's a we're getting 30 40 shots a day at busting fish right next to the boat the um, giant fishing with the rods is it's just been really really good um, and that's really why i bought the boat last year the 28 whitewater because i wanted to participate in that i wanted to go use the, the harpoon boat for what it really was made for was to go commercial harpooning and then jump on the little boat and then do the rec recreational and charter fishing as well as commercial tuna rod reeling uh, once the harpoon season ended. How many days out of the year are you on the water? Too many, according to my wife. <laughs> I love it. Well, Tyler, thank you uh, for all the info, man. I, I really appreciate you coming on today. Yep, no problem. Do you, do you have a, do you have social media or anything? Oh, yeah. So I on? have a website. It's fvcynthiac.com. And uh, on Instagram, we're at FVCynthiaC. And we're also on Facebook, Facebook, um, FVCynthiaC. So we try to keep it current. You can book charters off of that? Uh, you can. You can reach out to me. My phone number's there. Um, actually, this year has been really good. We Last year, we had some great tuna action. So those are booking up quick. The uh, early season ground fishing up here, especially off of Mattapoiset, where I live, is phenomenal. I love taking kids fishing. Booked a lot of kids charters in the big boat. They love the big boats. They love go clawing, climbing up in the tower. And <laughs> once I rigged the big boat over for harpooning, I still use a little boat in the off days to go charter fishing. So try to stay busy. Well, thanks again for uh, coming on and telling us about your life. That sounds super amazing and fun. I mean, what an experience to be able to do that every single day for a job. <laughs> but uh, thanks for everybody for listening in to Above and Blow, and uh, we'll catch you next time. All right. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening in to Above and Below, a Salt Life podcast. Make sure to follow us on Instagram at Real Salt Life. If you've enjoyed this episode, rate and review us on Apple or Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcast to help spread the word. And remember, stay salty.